What is good, everybody? Welcome back to the Nothing But Sports Podcast. I'm Rahel Jaswell. Episode 72. I know it's been a while, but I'm back. We've got a decent amount to talk about today. We're going to talk the end. We're going to start with the Rangers Game 7 win over the Penguins in 3-1 series comeback. Maybe the first time I'm talking hockey on here. And then we're going to get into every single series in the conference semifinals for the NBA. What happened? Recap. And maybe a little preview of the conference finals. But the way this NBA playoffs has gone, it's really... Tough to predict what's going to happen. So, yeah, let's... So, for people who don't know, for the first time, this is going to be hockey on the show, but I feel like I have to talk about it because it's New York. So, the Rangers get the victory in Game 7, 4-3. Artevi uh, Panarin with the game winner in overtime. Rangers trailed 3-1 this whole series. And I really don't... I mean, mean, first of all, what a series. Major credit to the Pittsburgh Penguins. uh, Played a really good series. I think experience really showed, especially in the first four games with how they were getting goals, but Rangers, I mean, second in this whole season, I think they were second in come-from-behind wins, so it showed itself again, and um, man, I just, I don't know what to say, but the main thing I want to talk about, the reason I'm talking hockey here is I'm a little annoyed with all the, uh, with all the Penguins fans, all right, they're all blaming the, the officials, so we're going to talk about the controversy, so basically, before Minka uh, Zibanejad's tying goal with about 5:40 to play in the third period, Penguins fans wanted a uh, penalty for Alexi Lafreniere uh, ripping off, um, I think it was Peterson's helmet behind the goal, which caused Peterson to skate to the bench because I think it's they say it's a rule, but um, and that basically gave the Rangers a mini power play in which they were able to score. So. To my knowledge, it's a penalty for intentionally ripping the helmet off, but it has to be clear. So I don't think the ref. The ref probably didn't see it because it was behind the goal. And second of all, the fact that they're gonna blame it on um blame it on that, I think is kinda I think it's kinda stupid. I don't think that's the reason why he blew a two goal lead in games five and six. Now, also, it, I don't think um according to the rules expert, that's not even a rule that you have to skate off the ice. So I don't know what they're what they're talking about. Because the rule states if your helmet comes off, you can pick it, and if you see it on the ice, you can pick it back up. You don't even have to put the chin strap on and keep playing. But you see most players skate to the bench. So I don't know if the Penguins, I'm assuming the Penguins just didn't know that rule, or Peterson just didn't see his helmet that was right next to him. He probably, maybe, I don't know, he took a quick glance at the ice, didn't see it game seven, everything's moving extremely fast, so maybe that's why he skated back to the bench with it, but... So to say that that was the altering factor, because, okay, it probably, did it play a part? Maybe, because it gave the Rangers maybe a mini power play. And again, I don't have enough hockey knowledge to know if that was a um, if that was a penalty, but all I know is it's tough to see all that stuff when guys are moving in that fast and at that speed and everything is happening. You're, you're trying to focus on where's the puck and everything like that, and something happens behind the net. So that's tough to call in the in the first place. And again... The rule states you can stay. All you got to do is pick your helmet back up and put it on. So I don't think the Penguins were aware of the rule. Sidney Crosby and his postgame presser came out and said, We probably got messed up. We played good hockey. We probably got messed up by a bad rule. That's not the rule. You don't have to skate off the ice. So these Penguin fans who are complaining that, oh, there should have been a penalty there, he could have all been avoided if they had just known the If you guys had just known the rule and he'd put his helmet back on and we'd be maybe having completely different discussions because maybe that goal doesn't happen and also i hate to be that guy but do we want to talk about all the bad calls there's been this series again i have limited hockey knowledge but game one the goaltender interference from my look it was looked like 
the rain he was the Rangers were pushed in. Um, I don't remember who who it was, but he was pushed into the goalie, and then the Rangers scored the op- uh, the goal with about two minutes left, but they disallowed it for goaltender interference. So that was a debatable call that went the Penguins' way. And then are we going to talk about the game seven uh, game seven goal or the the goal the the Penguins scored to take the lead? Debatable could have been a high sticking call. Again, that one is tough to call because it's going so fast and there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it. But a lot of people were saying, you know, it was he made contact that was higher than the crossbar, so there should have been a penalty there. So again, to me, even if that is a bad call, all those things at the end of the day cancel out because it can't. We let it. I mean, because the that call gave the goaltender interference call gave the Penguins game one. It gave him a goal in game seven. And then it also debatably give the Rangers the last goal of the series in Game 7. So the way I view it is, everything sort of cancels out. You're not, I'm not going to blame. Again, in the heat of the moment, I understand blaming the officials. We've all done it. But again, the rule states he can put his helmet back on. He doesn't have to skate back to the bench. So again, I'm assuming Mike Sullivan and the, um, and the Penguins were just not aware of the rules. So it's kind of annoying to see them blame the officials in what has been an unbelievable seven-game series. And again, like I said, with all the bad calls, everything cancels out. But again, credit to the Rangers. They'll go they'll go um, on the road to face the Carolina Hurricane. And I mean, hockey is... It, pff, playoff hockey is... Uh, it's something else. Again, I don't normally talk hockey because I don't know much hockey, but playoff hockey is always something that's uh, awesome to watch. So I just wanted to quickly touch on that because it's a big deal. You know, New York, the Rangers, first time in the playoffs in, I think since 2015... No, 2015 or 2016, I'm not 100% sure, but um, somewhere around there. So it's a it's a big deal, and they get to host the series, and they get it done like they did way back when they came back uh, 3-1 down against the Capitals and won that series 2-1 in overtime in the Game 7 winner. So, yeah, anyway, that's all I have to say about the hockey. Let's move on to the bulk of the show, which will be the NBA. So transitioning out of the NBA, the conference semifinals are over. It's the second round of the postseason, and we get into the conference finals. So I'm going to talk... All the sort of things that happen and recap every single series. And we're going to start with the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Boston Celtics. So the Boston Celtics get the job done in Game 7, uh, 101-89, and they move on to the conference finals to play the Miami Heat. We're going to talk about that Heat 76ers um, series later. So, wow. Okay, first of all, unbelievable series. Unbelievable play from both teams um, major respect to between the players, Giannis, Tatum. And we're going to basically see what happens. So Milwaukee goes up 3-2. Boston gets the job done in Game 6. Unbelievable job from Jason Tatum to bring them there. Outdueled Giannis. They get to Game 7. So Giannis did... I'm going to be frank here, right? Giannis did not play well in the second half of Game 7. I'll give you that, all right? Whoever's saying that. He shot, I believe, 4 of 16 from the floor with 8 points, which is not good for Giannis standards. But let's be honest... Even if he had shot, like, what, 7 of 13, 8 of 12, that's not helping you make up a 109 to 81 loss. Okay, that would just be window dressing on what happens in Game 7. So it really would have had no impact. And so how did Boston do this? So we got to give Boston's defense unbelievable props, okay? They made Giannis's life hell. I think he did play a little better than Kevin Durant in this series, but they made his life hell. So how did they do that? Well, all Bucks fans are going to say 
they didn't have Chris Middleton. And that is partly true, okay? I'm not going to deny that having Chris Middleton would have helped the Milwaukee Bucks. And to all those Chris Middleton haters out there, and they say, oh, what does he bring to the team? Well, you see what he brings to the team now, okay? The offense throughout the whole series was extreme. They, they, were, they were lucky to get three games on the back of their defense. And when Giannis exploded, they were able to you know score a good amount of points. But, um, I mean, the lack of continuity really showed in the offensive end. And really, here's what happened. The Bucks resorted to an offense in which Giannis Antetokounmpo just had the ball at the top of the key, and the only option was just crash downhill like a bull and try and get an easy dunker layup or draw fouls or maybe kick out to somewhat of an open shooter. And that's kind of how they fell when he played against Toronto when they sort of built the wall around him. But a lot of reason why the wall has stopped working is Milwaukee surrounded him with good shooters. Giannis has been able to develop a pull-up jumper or partly develop a mid-range, but it's still not there yet. So he was being forced to take mid-range jumpers, and Milwaukee, every time they did that, had a sigh of relief. And another thing is, when Giannis is constantly crashing down like that and not able to hit the three consistently, which it'll soon come, but not now, and no one else is able to make shots, it's going to wear on him more than other players. So that's why at the end of games, you saw he was exhausted. He played 43 minutes. Tatum played around the same but Tatum can take possessions off because other guys are going to do his job, um, do their jobs, and he doesn't need to expend as much energy because he can take mid-range and three-pointers. But Giannis's game crashing downhill that takes a lot out of you. And another reason Boston was just able to to basically block up that lane was because they had no respect for any of the Milwaukee shooters. Okay, they did a good job on Drew Holiday, and Holiday did his thing sometimes when he was able to get in the paint. But again. Clogging the lane. They had no respect for Grayson Allen shooting the ball. No respect for, for Pat Connington shooting the ball. No respect for Bobby Portis shooting the basketball. And the list goes on. So, all of a sudden, these guys can't really make their own shot. And even when they get open, they miss. They shot 4 of 26 from 3 in Game 7. So, why the hell would the Boston Celtics be bothered at contesting them? Their only option is, hey, let's just clog up the paint. Make sure Giannis and Drew Holiday don't beat us. They kick it out to a shooter such as a Pat Connington, Grayson Allen. Fine, let him take the shot. It's just not going in. Okay, a big reason why Milwaukee was able to win that game, that NBA Finals, was because Pat Connington stepped up in the Finals, hit some huge threes. They had to start to respect his game. Then Giannis was able to go one-on-one and just completely tear up the Phoenix Suns. He couldn't do that this series because there was no respect whatsoever for the other shooters. And now, if they had, again... Chris Middleton would have offset that because they have to respect Middleton as a shooter and a guy that can create his own shot and is probably considered their closer or not, you know, their go-to option sort in the last couple of minutes in the half-court possession. And again, for all those people who say Giannis Antetokounmpo is never and is not a closer, just shut up and look at game six of the finals where he dropped 50 points and had 14 boards and six blocks and then come talk to me about not being a closer, Okay. And also, just with his game and his size, it's just harder to be a closer. It's harder for bigger guys like him and somewhat big men to be closers, okay? Was Shaq, I don't think Shaq was ever a closer in his prime. He needed Kobe to help close him out. So even the most dominant need, those, need that help from the wing players. And again, they got no production in Game 7 from any of their wing players. Bobby Portis was big in Game 5 getting the offensive boards, but just no nothing. No continuity on offense. It was very choppy the whole series. And Boston, they got help. 
You know, Grant Will- that Grant Williams, they were going to make him, you know, it was don't respect Grant Williams, have him shoot. He makes seven threes. Uh, Tatum doesn't have a great game, but the seven threes and the, his playmaking, seven threes from Grant Williams, that's enough. No one else besides Giannis Antetokounmpo did anything. And again, for people slandering Giannis, Giannis was the first player in NBA history to score 2,000 points, 100 rebounds, and 50 assists. And they're still going home. And again, all those Bucks fans are going to complain, well, we would have swept them if we had Middleton. Well, I guess, kind of like I alluded to with the Rangers, this is how they even things out because the Brooklyn Nets fans can say the exact same thing if Kyrie Irving doesn't go down in that conference semifinals and the Nets go on to win the championship. So again... I'm not going to call this a fake ring because someone was injured because I think we've seen in the last couple of years, if we're going to discredit rings because of injury, then we can discredit the last 10 plus years of rings in NBA history. So I'm not going to discredit anything like that, but this is the way of the universe sort of, sort of, um, evening things out. And I think Giannis did a great job taking accountability. He said, you know, we didn't have Chris, but no excuses. You know, we have to play better. So as for Milwaukee, get make sure Chris Middleton is healthy. Maybe try and get another guy who can go get his shot in the half court. You know, Donovan Mitchell is going to be an option for, for a lot of teams. Maybe Bradley Beal. I don't know if he's content. I, it seems like he's content in Washington. So that's really the next step for Milwaukee. They played unbelievable defense. But I thought, so again, I'm not going to call them fraud championship sort of, sort of winners. But um, Boston was the better team. Let's be honest, this series should have been over in six games. Boston should not have lost game five. And you look at game six, I mean, Giannis, that was Giannis's game. He had 46 points, 20 plus boards. Just no one else in the team did anything. And again, he had, what, 26 points, 20 boards. Again, even if he had played it a fishing game, it would have been window dressing because you can't win a game seven when your role players don't do anything and you shoot four of 26 from three. Major credit to the Boston defense. Again, they wore Giannis down. And kind of like they did Kevin Durant, they wore him down because Boston can put so many different guys on you. They can, one possession is Jalen Brown, then it's Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Grant Williams, Marcus Smart. They can throw so many different bodies at you, and that's what makes it so tough to beat them. So that's my sort of mantra for the Bucks and Celtics, uh, Bucks and Celtics series. But again, Celtics, conference finals rematch against the Miami Heat uh, from the bubble. I am so excited for it. I can't wait. It's going to be an unbelievable series. All right, now we're going to transition to the Western Conference where another sort of uh, Game 7 game seven happened. And it was, the, it was the Suns and the Mavericks. So the Mavericks completely blow out the Phoenix Suns. And it was something kind of crazy to see. Okay, the Dallas Mavericks, I have no idea what came over. Okay, 123-90 to 90 was the final score in Game 7. I am still speechless at what the hell happened to the Phoenix Suns because that was not the Phoenix Suns we had seen all year. Okay, that was not the team that won 60-plus games, could have won 70 games if everyone stayed healthy. But, oh my God, what the hell happened? Okay, so, again, there's not there's not really a definitive answer because we can't pick apart one player, one person because everybody played terrible. Hell, I think Cam Johnson was a leading scorer with 13 points. But it was just really weird to see. Let's start from the first quarter, okay? Phoenix started the game tight, okay? In Game 7, it it's always on the home team, especially the, all the pressure was on the Phoenix Suns today because nobody had lost at home coming into this series. Everyone at home had won convincingly. So maybe that was an extra moment. Phoenix came out extremely tight, 
They were missing shots early, but that's kind of what happens in Game 7. A lot of teams t- tend to get off to a slow start, and obviously Luka did not get off to a slow start. Hit, you know, for, for, scored the first eight points, and you were thinking, oh boy, here he comes. But So Phoenix got off to a slow start. They were missing shots that they normally make, but again, when you're looking, you're like, okay, fine. Those are good shots. They're going to go down eventually, so there's nothing to worry about, okay? Luka starts cooking on the other end, but then... The Suns just couldn't get stops. Luke, it was Luca, Dinwiddie, Brunson. All three of them were just cooking, and it was crazy to see Lucas hitting step back threes. And then all of a sudden, once the defense is drawn on Luca, they let Spencer Dinwiddie go one on one. And Spencer Dinwiddie, when he sees one on one options, he's like, "Perfect. This is why I was so good in Brooklyn when I was there. I was a prototypical." one-on-one player. Let me just go one-on-one. And then he does his thing. And then Brunson starts getting in the lane using that crafty strength. And then once all three of them are cooking, then you got a problem. Then you don't even... <laughs> then then you just... It was a complete game from all three Mavericks big three members. And then what happens when you're on the Phoenix Sun side? All of a sudden, the lead gets further and further away. You start panicking. Your offensive game plan goes out the window. And you start rushing shots. <clears throat> now... That's very typical. But an area I'm disappointed in the Phoenix Suns is, you would think with all the, all the experience of going to the NBA Finals last year, all right, choking away games five and six, or game five mostly, they blew that, I think, double-digit lead in game five at home, okay, and then losing game six of the Finals, and also getting through that, that, um, that uh, first-round series versus the Pelicans in six games without Booker, where CP3 is unbelievable. You would think someone like a Chris Paul, who's been there so many times in close games, would have brought the team together during a time and say, hey, we're rushing our shots, all right? We need to relax, okay? Chris Paul, start hunting for your shot. Get to that mid-range, okay? Try and get the mismatch with the defender. I saw none of that. It was just jack-up contested shots and hunt for foul calls. They were really looking. You could see... Their offense was just looking for foul calls, and then just got the lead just got so much the game was over at halftime. Chris Paul was extremely disappointing. I expected him to come out, be aggressive, hunt for that mid-range shot, because he had proved in this series, when he wanted to get to the elbow for that jumper, he could easily do it. He could call for a switch, get a bigger guy on him, could even get Luke on him, who was called out for defense, and is actually not that bad at defense. But Chris Paul can easily get his shot on him. He can get his shot on Didwinnie, Didwinnie, uh, Brunson. He can get his shot on anyone when he hunts for it. So, I, so when he's using that screen for Mayton, maybe they get the switch on to the big so someone else like Maxi Kleba or Dorian Finney or you know Bertans has to guard him. And he can easily pop that little 15-foot elbow jumper and there's sometimes you can nothing to do, there's nothing you can do to stop it. I didn't see him do that once. I saw him do that once in the fourth quarter when they were down by... God knows how many at that point. They were down by almost 40-plus points. I mean, this was really something shocking and embarrassing to see for all Phoenix Suns fans. The fact that... Okay, and also, Devin Booker, he did not show up either. He was rushing his shots. Everyone was rushing their shots. But again, with the leadership, I thought Chris Paul would able to be steady the ship and run the offense. The offense had no flow to it. Again, I mean, we're talking about Chris Paul is one of the best point guard. People call him a top a point guard and top five point guard of all time. There was no boot, uh, ball movement, and they just basically laid over and 
at, at half, it was over. 57-27. Luka had just as many points as the Phoenix Suns did. So I am still shocked at what happened. And I'm also shocked at Chris Paul's game, okay? Because after game... After game one, where he had that 28-point outburst and he took over in the fourth quarter. Game two, he was good. 7 of 13, 19 points, they won. But look at game three. 3 of 9, 12 points. Game four, I can't even read my own handwriting. I think that says 2 of two of 5 or 2 of 4 for 5 points. Game five, 3 of 8 for 7 points. Game six, 4 of 7 for 13 points. Game seven, 4 of 8 for 10 points. He just didn't take that many shots. He just disappeared. So now I'm wondering... Is this exactly what happened with the Milwaukee Bucks last year in the finals? Did the event did he just get gassed out because he's older, turned 37, and the and the whole series guys were picking up 94 feet? <clears throat> the Bucks taught everyone a lesson there because Drew Holiday in that Suns finals was again in the finals was picking up Chris Paul uh, full court, and eventually after games two, game one and two, he just sort of gassed out and lost and. You know, there was one where, uh, there was game four, I think, where he got into foul trouble, but he had seven turnovers, or game three, and he had seven turnovers in the first half. That's very un-Chris Paul-like. And now, who knows what's going to happen? Are they going to keep this core together with DeAndre Ayton, because he's up for a contract extension? With the way he played, he's not getting the max deal. Um, Do they run it back? Chris Paul said he's not retiring, so... Do they keep that core together or do they go in a different direction? I don't don't know. Um, Campaign, Mikael Bridges' offense... Completely fell off in this series, so it's going to be interesting to see because it's a really disappointing end to the series with the Phoenix Suns. All right, so those are the two game sevens. Let's get to the series that ended earlier. All right, we're going to go back to the Eastern Conference. Heat 76ers. Heat get the series win in six games over Philadelphia. Completely, um, game six was I think 99 to 90, but. In reality, the game was over with like six minutes to go because Miami was up 20. And many people think that the 76ers were kind of pathetic in the in the last couple minutes. So <clears throat> let's get started. Again, obviously, Joel Embiid was hurt in the first two games. Okay, I'll give him that. I'll, gi- I'll give them that. And credit to Joel Embiid for trying to play. And all those idiots who, who dogged Joel Embiid for crying, or not crying, but like, almost crying in pain when he was on the court. Man played with a broken face, okay? The man played with a broken face that was not 100% healed, and then the ball comes back, hits him in the mask, and the mask presses against his broken face, okay? You experience that pain when you're playing an NBA playoff game, and don't cry, then you can come talk to me about it. The amount of pain that guy, Joel Embiid, must have been in throughout that whole playoff series. He had a thumb injury that w- that is said he's going to need surgery for. He had the broken face and concussion system symptoms from the elbow. He also had a little bit of a back injury going on. So for those saying, well, he didn't play well in Game 7, okay, you can't expect the man with a broken face, a thumb that needs surgery, and back issues to put up a monster performance. I don't know what people were expecting like the dude was completely banged up okay not everyone is isaiah thomas and can drop 30 points in a quarter with a broken ankle that's the size of a golf ball or a balloon okay not everyone is like that you can't expect everyone to go through through that and again it's a lose-lose situation because if he doesn't play well people criticize him but if he plays well or and if but if he doesn't play 
People call him soft. So I don't understand what people were expecting. So I'm going to kind of let Joel Embiid off here. I mean, his presence, you could just look at games three and four. His presence just affected the game offensively and defensively. So I give him all the credit on the world. All right. But this is all about James Harden, man. I mean, we've been, I, everyone has been saying it year in and year out. James Harden just does not get it done in the postseason. Again, he just sort of cowered away four of 11. And his, in his press conference, okay, I'm going to try and keep my cool here, but his press conference, his comments in the press conference afterwards really just irked me. Uh, someone was asked about, oh, not being aggressive because he only took two shots in the second half and one of them, they were down by 20 at that point. So really only one shot in the second half. And he goes, after hitting a couple threes early, he goes, oh, well, um, yeah, you know, the ball just didn't back, just didn't get back to me in the offense. Are you, are you, are you for real? Did you just say that? Last I checked, aren't you the freaking point guard? You're the supposed to be the second best option on the team. And your response is, oh, the ball didn't come back to me. How about you get your lazy ass at the top of the key and you demand the ball? Okay, you're supposed to be the second best player and you were supposed to be the best player on that floor because Joel Embiid was banged up. And the excuse you come up with uh, is the ball didn't come my way. And when they asked, did Doc Rivers run set for you? You go, no comment. Just say yes there. And and there we don't have to have an issue about the, the relationship between you and Doc. But instead, you want to come up with an excuse that the ball didn't get to you. If you're the point guard of the team, the ball is constantly touching your hands when you bring it up the floor. You were you were not aggressive at all. You did not get out in transition and try and get to the free throw line or lay it up or get in the lane and dish it out to an open shooter. You did not go up and demand the basketball and demand you try and take over this game. That is exactly what you needed to do. What you did in game four, where you demanded the ball in that fourth quarter and took over, they needed in game six. But again, you just want to stand in the corner and be like, oh, I, I, I didn't, the ball didn't come back to me. Go demand the ball. You're the second most experienced player, actually, probably third behind Danny Green, who prayers up to him is probably his career is over now. He's probably going to retire with that. But you're, after Danny Green, you are the most experienced player on that team. You're, this is what you wanted. You wanted to get to Philly with Daryl Morey. This was your chance to shut everybody up and try and you know not replicate what you did in game four, but do something similar. And you took eleven shots, two in the second half. And your response, like I said, was I didn't. The ball didn't come back to me. Give me a break, James Harden. I mean, this is this is all karma for James Harden. I'm. This is all karma. Okay, you quit your way out of Houston by showing up out of shape and fat. All right, you go to Brooklyn. You're uh, you go to Brooklyn, and it's supposed to be the best offensive three duo, and. Again, the weight from Houston causes you to uh, to miss most of the postseason because of a hamstring issue. Whether he's still suffering from that, I don't know. And then you quit your way out of Brooklyn. You come to Philly here, and you choke it away. And again, it probably wasn't all James Harden. Okay, Tyrese Maxey did not play great down the stretch. Matisse Thybul and the Sixers, they need bench help. I'll give them that. But when, you, when you're supposed to be paid $47.3 million dollars, and Daryl Morey traded for you, and this is supposed to be the missing piece to get you a championship, those are the games where you have to take over and bail your star out, who's playing with a broken face. 
So I don't want to hear this mantra of, I mean, you, he completely cowered away from the situation. He didn't want the ball. And there was one play where, you know, Tobias throws in the ball and he ducks and it ends up in a turnover. I mean, I have no idea what, what you're expecting to do there. So the question is, is James Harden completely washed up? And the main thing is, I don't want to call him completely washed up because there is still probably an all-star level player in that James Harden. Okay, he's got a full season now. He claims he's going to work on his body, but I have and get his fitness going. I don't know. Maybe they'll come back with more set pick and roll plays because they've only been together for since the trade deadline. But I think Philly needs to go out and get another player. <clears throat> go out and get someone like a Donovan Mitchell or Bradley Beal, kind of like Milwaukee, who can get his own bucket. Because Harden at his best last year when he was in Brooklyn was the third option on the Nets behind Kyrie and KD. But what did he do to that Brooklyn Nets offense? He, um, you've heard me say it so many times in this sh- uh, this episode here. He gave it flow. He gave it continuity. All right, look at the ball. Look at the series between the Celtics and the Nets here. There was no flow or continuity. It was literally Kyrie. You take the ball up. Okay, you shoot. Now Kevin Durant. I'm gonna come up, take the ball up, and shoot. Harden was able to take the ball up. He was able to get everyone touching the ball. All right, he was able to facilitate. He all he need. Uh, he averaged like 24 and 10. Okay, that's what they need. Not even 24 and 10. If there's a little down tick in your scoring, that's fine. With Tyrese Maxey maybe supposed to supposed to come up behind you and be the second scorer, you can go to 22 and 12, something like that. That is all James Harden needs to give them if they get a third. Tobias Harris is probably done. So maybe go out and get a another superstar. Not a superstar, but get, a, get another one, like, a, like I said, like a Donovan Mitchell, someone who can get their own shot. Harden can transition to that three role and bring the offense flow and continuity and be aggressive and kick out and try and get be more of a facilitator, as Joel Embiid said. He's not a pure scorer like he was in Houston, but he can certainly be a facilitator down the stretch just to help Philly. Because again, in the fourth quarter with Philly, there was not much flow or anything. Very choppy, rushed possessions on offense. If Harden is the third option, I think he can give you some flow and help the ball move better and maybe make it easier for Joel Embiid because they, they literally just clued in on him this whole series because they weren't worried about anyone else making shots. They knew George Niang was not going to make shots like he did in games four and five. They knew Harden was probably not going to replicate that performance what he did in game four. So I don't, <clears throat> like I said, there's still some athletic, you know, some good play in Harden left, but there's as far as the Houston James Harden that can score like crazy, they they didn't. That's no there. And that's not there. And again, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing because people are going to say, well, we should have kept Jimmy Butler now because Jimmy Butler would have been the way he killed us and the way they said they wanted to be teammates. That is true. But hindsight is a wonderful thing because if you look at it at the time, most people's, the right decision in most people's eyes was to get rid of Jimmy Butler, give Tobias Harris the max contract and keep Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons was supposed to be that, supposed to be the, um... The future there. He was supposed to develop a jump shot and sort of be a top point guard in the league. So hindsight is a wonderful thing for Philly, but at the end of the day, if you were to ask most people, and again, Jimmy Butler had gotten the reputation, the rep as a locker room cancer at that time. So again, at the time, that was seen as the right move, and now obviously in hindsight, it's not. You would have much rather given Jimmy Butler the max over Tobias Harris because if Jimmy Butler was on the team now with James Harden, with the way J- playoff Jimmy is playing, the Sixers would probably be in the Eastern Conference Finals and favorited to win the title. But again, hindsight is a wonderful thing. So anyway, that's all I got to say on the Philly series. 
All right, and finally, let's get to the Grizz Warrior series. Now, before I start, I realized it just didn't. I didn't give any of the Heat credit. Credit Miami. They were they were so good in that series, and they deserve to go to the conference uh, finals over the disgusting 76ers. But let's get to the Grizzlies Warriors recap. So. Memphis falls to in six games to Golden State. Obviously, the injury with Ja didn't 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 make obviously didn't help. Uh, again, I'm not gonna give this a false thing because injuries do happen. I know Dylan Brooks got suspended for game three, but then you can play the card. Okay, Draymond got suspended uh, all the way halfway through game one, and they were and Memphis still couldn't capitalize on that. Ja had a good look and he couldn't put it down. So there's a lot of you know ifs, what's and that you know it what if what's and buts but um again i just think the warriors championship experience pl- f- showed at the end of game 4 <clears throat> and at the end of game 6 when jaw wasn't there okay cuz i don't know what game 5 they came out they came out so i think they were a little overconfident after winning game 4 they thought memphis was just going to lie down and and let them run all over them but the exact opposite happened. Memphis rode that home crowd and whipped them. And then game six, back at home, they came more prepared. They kept turning the ball over, okay? The Warriors, in the final couple minutes of games four and six, really buckled down. They were careless in game uh, in both those games down the stretch. They were turning the basketball over. They were missing easy shots. They were rushing their offense. They were taking shots that you only take when you get in a groove, but they didn't have that rhythm in games four and six. So late down the stretch, they buckled down, played really good defense, and ran some really good offensive sets, got some much more easy shots, and knocked them down. And Memphis's inexperienced show, okay, for all how good Memphis has been as a core this year, being a two seed, being twenty-two and five without Jaw, uh, without John getting a game five win against him, getting the experience last year and the experience against Memphis, uh, Minnesota in the first round. They could have easily lost that first round series to Minnesota, but Minnesota was the one pulling dumb moves down the, um, in the later half of games. Well, this Memphis team, they were the ones pulling the dumb moves because they were more inexperienced than Golden State because Golden State has been there, done that, done so many comebacks, has the championship DNA of Steph, Clay, Draymond, and, you know, the coaching of Steve Kerr, now Mike Brown. So, again, the inexperience showed, again, you know, people are complaining, you know, that Desmond Bain over the back call in game four, I thought it was the right call, even though Seth, even though Steph Curry uh, sold it to um, <laughs> to the refs pretty well, um, but like so Steph sold that pretty well. But again, Jared Jackson Jr. took a horrible contested three when there was still like six seconds left on the clock. Okay, if they had more experience there, they would have um, you know they would have tried to uh, you know run some more offense. Game six, Kavon Looney absolutely destroyed Memphis on the offensive glass. I think he had twenty three offensive rebounds. Memphis just couldn't get a rebound. Down the stretch, and again, Dylan Brooks and Tyus Jones, Jared Jackson Jr. throughout the whole game tried to play hero ball, and eventually <clears throat> it just didn't work and caught up to them in um, at the latter stages. So again, this was a really good series. I think Memphis with a with a healthy job maybe probably could have won this. Uh, again, I'm not going to give this a fraudulent thing. It probably could have been a little different, but again, they could have still won Game One, and maybe they would have been going to a Game Seven, and then anything can happen in a Game Seven, especially at home in Memphis. But another thing I'm concerned about is Ja's injury problem. Because everyone likes to talk about Zion not playing, but Ja has missed a lot of games because of these knee injuries. And he's freakishly athletic. And I, I know the knee injury was a freak accident because I think the knee was like pulled in a weird direction. But he had nursed a knee injury coming into the playoffs. 
Ja needs to play a little smarter with his body, okay? He needs to develop, get more consistent from the three so there's not as much wear and tear on those knees because Ja is not strong, okay? Ja Morant has more, is more of like, you know, skin and bones kind of thing. There's not much meat in his, He's a very skinny dude. He's a very small dude. So, and yes, he has freakish athleticism and everyone loves to see it and he can flash it because that's his game. But he needs to add more. He needs to add more post. I think I think Job needs to add some sort of, you know, decent mid-range jumper. I don't, not a post game, obviously. I just don't think he's good enough for a post or he's big enough for a post. If he somehow developed a post game, that'd be awesome to see. But he needs to develop a mid-ranger because I don't want to see Ja continue to struggle with injuries and then like a Derrick Rose, blow out his knee and kind of learn too late. Because the only reason Derrick Rose has been able to stay in the league so long now is he's changed his game. Okay, he's been able to develop a, a more consistent three. I want Ja to do that earlier so he can have the whole package at the same time. Because Ja, if he can get all that together, is probably going to win a league MVP at some point in his career. Then they can depend on him to be more healthy in these big games. Because again, these the the landings he takes when he when he hits that trampoline and goes all the way up, the amount of contact he is taking when he lands and sometimes not bracing his fall. As he gets older and older and older, those are going to start to pile up. Okay, he can't. He can do that now when he's young and spry. But when he gets older and older and older, those are going to accumulate. Trust me. When talking about not evolving and changing your James Harden knows that exact thing. Harden should have developed a mid-range jumper, and he'd be in a much better position than he is now. So that's the question for Ja. But again, for Memphis, if Ja can stay healthy and develop his game, same thing with Jared Jackson Jr. and all these guys. They got a really good young core. Okay, Dylan Brooks needs to stop thinking he is Steph Curry from three and taking so many. But again, this Grizzlies team, sky's the limit for their future because that is a really good basketball team. A really young basketball team that plays good offense, good defense. It would have been interesting to see if they integrated Steven Adams more in the first couple games because outside of game six when the Warriors made the adjustment putting Kevon Ludi in, uh, Adams was killing the Warriors on the glass. So it could have been interesting. Maybe they could have snatched... Game one and game three maybe could have been a little closer, but again, I mean, they gave 140 points through three uh, in game three, so I don't know if just the rebounding advantage could have saved them. But again, 24 offensive boards for Kavon Looney in game six. Unbelievable credit to the Warriors. Um, championship DNA is still there. As much as most people don't like him because of their bandwagon fans, they're probably a little more likable now that they don't have KD and they're not completely running through the league. That conference finals versus Dallas, is going to be awesome. I think we're going to see some great defense from Dallas in that series. And I think the Eastern Conference Finals between the Celtics and the Heat is going to be defense at its top notch because those two teams probably play the best defense in the NBA. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. Um, again, I don't really have time to do a conference picks because this episode is already running around the 40-minute mark. So, yeah, uh, that is going to do it for the NBA recaps. So, and... That means that is going to do it for this uh, week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope I'm trying to get back to the weekly episodes, but it's just been tough. And um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and hopefully, I will be back next week.